Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Heart Podcast. And today, uh, my guest, Gary Barkalow, and I, uh, we're going to be talking about the second session in the series on calling. And this session is called Mystery. Uh, let's just do a recap from last week. Last week, we talked about um, orientation. And when it comes to our calling, it's critical that we get out of a state of disorientation, which many of us find ourselves in. We just don't know what we're called to. We don't know what God is up to. We don't know what the story is in which we're living. And so uh, it's no wonder a lot of uh, folks, even though they claim Christ, are disoriented. So um, Gary provided us with three um, focal points or GPS coordinates, if you will, of orientation, and he used the, the medical model that when a, an emergency medical team is showing up on the scene of an accident, for example, they'll check to see if the patient is what they call alert and oriented times three. In other words, do they know where they are, do they know their name, uh, and I think do they know their surroundings. But anyway, there are three things that they check for, the, the medical technicians check for to see how well this person is doing. And they're doing less well if they're, let's say, alert and oriented times only two, and even less well than that if they're alert and oriented times one. And if they're not alert and oriented at all, they're in big trouble. So for us, when we're trying to seek out this issue of what am I called to as a Christian beyond generally loving people, but what is particular about my life and what I bring to the story, it's critical to talk about three coordinate points. In other words, to be alert and oriented times three for us means three things. It means that we've got to um, be alert and oriented to the story that we live in, to our desires, because our desires are the way that God communicates our calling to us. And the last one is journey. Um, and journey is just how this thing unfolds, which often is incredibly confusing, but it's how, how this process of calling and how we live with God in that process unfolds. So we talked about story. In other words, knowing that hey, we're not living in a safe story. There is a lot going on around us in sort of the unseen realm of things, and it's critical for us to know what part we play because it is needed. What we bring is needed. So story, desire, and journey help us be alert and oriented to what's going on, to what our place and call in the story is. So um, I think Gary might be here. I'm right here. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) Um, Well, good. Well, I just gave a recap of, of last week, and we talked about orientation. In order to avoid being disoriented, um, we needed to figure out the story, the desire, and the journey. Today is about mystery, and I think this is one of the, the more helpful things we can recognize is when we're in a period of discovering our calling where things just are not happening or we're hitting a wall or we're just confused, it's going to help us understand the nature of the journey and that there's mystery um, you, you got this great quote uh, from Kierkegaard. It says, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Can you say a little bit about that and how that applies to our sense of where we're going in our calling? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the two sides of that quote, of course, 
are, are one that when we look back, our life can make sense. We can see patterns. We can see direction. We can really see the hand and hear the voice of God in that. Uh, now, now the, the, the difficulty with that is, is that most people never stop to really look back and, and to be able to make sense of their life, which is greatly important. It really is in finding our calling and walking in it. Now, of course, the other side of that verse, that, that idea is that we have to live forwards where there isn't so much clear direction and sense to our life, but we have to live forwards. We cannot live in the past and stay there. And so that is the friction, the conflict um, that most people live in and, and frankly bring them to a point of despair or just giving up and trying to find their calling in their life. Um, and there's a lot of assumptions that tend to handicap us when we are dealing with this thought of mystery. In other words, trying to live forward but trying to understand life backwards. Uh, and that's the assumption that you should know what's happening. In other words, you should have clarity and understanding. There shouldn't be any confusion here. Um, and, and the message in that is, what is wrong with you? There's got to be something wrong with you that you're not getting what's going on. Um, so how do we get? How do we mistake mystery for stupidity, as you say? Yeah, yeah. That and, and see, this this is such. This is a big deal. This is a burden on my heart. So many people live under the guilt and shame of, I just don't get this. I, I can't figure out my life and calling. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Um, maybe I've blown it and God won't speak to me. Or, or maybe just God doesn't speak to this with me. He seems to do it with others. And to live under that kind of pressure um, really mutes the voice of God in our life. It, it disables us from being able to read and walk with our own heart and to hear the words of others well. And so, you know, and we've grown up in this era now of, of science and reason and, and basically what this era has told us, an edu educational system that we've gone through, it's basically said to us, look, everything is... Uh, there to be understood, to be discovered, there should be no mystery to our life or to life in general. And so with that kind of a philosophy, yeah, with anything that we don't understand, we feel like we don't understand, we tend to feel like this must be my own ignorance. And, and, and possibly worse yet, that God just won't speak to me personally. And this is really damaging for us. And, and it's a it's self-perpetuating dilemma that we get in because the more we live underneath that, you know, the, the less that we have the faith to listen to God or believe that he speaks um, or to listen to our own heart because we'll doubt everything. Yeah, you really, just, you really end up sabotaging that very mechanism that could hear God. Um, because the assumption is he's just not talking to me or there's some kind of sin in my life, I've done something wrong, so that's why he's not talking to me, or I'm just stupid. And I've, I've met some people online who I really think that's the conclusion they've come to, that there's something faulty about either them or God 
that is preventing them from hearing their calling or place in the story. And um, so it's really helpful, as you suggest, to distinguish between mystery and disorientation. Can you you Mm -hmm. give a little bit of light on the difference between mystery or or being confused about things and being disoriented on the other end? Yeah, yeah, that's that's an important point. Um, You know, to, to live in mystery simply means that there are things out there that are so profound, so large, so transcendent that it will take time to discover it. That's all that means. That we, in time, can walk into these things, but not all at once. A disorientation uh, really is a state where we, um, we just aren't able to pick up any clues or any knowledge. We, we as we said in the, in the previous podcast that you did, d- disorientation is, is believing several things. One, that uh, my life is inconsequential, that, w- that what I do really doesn't matter. Secondly, that there's nothing really larger, greater going on. And, and thirdly, that, um, that I really live in a very safe world and a safe environment. It's, it's really being unaware of your environment. Now, you, can be, you can be disoriented um, and, and come back to your senses and then start walking into the adventure, the mystery, and those type of things. But it, disorientation is a state. Mystery is what we all live in and just simply that we, something we have to walk into little by little. Um, and you suggested something that um, one of the reasons why we just have a low tolerance for mystery is because of modernity and because of the scientific um, era, and which goes all the way back to the Enlightenment, this idea that we should be able to figure out the world, test it, um, prove it, that that has actually sought to remove mystery. And, and now that we've moved into the postmodern era, it hasn't offered anything better because postmoderns are, they want story, but what they end up with is shattered stories. They end up with bits and pieces where I can kind of just piece together a part of this story, a part of this story, a part of this story, but there isn't any cohesiveness to it, and there isn't any one author of it. And and God is saying, wait, there's another way. I'm offering a whole story, and I'm inviting you into it. So both modern era and postmodern era have actually sabotaged our ability to feel like there's any cohesive story and that we actually have a part in it. It, it has left us, I think, with more confusion. Um, yeah, you know what? That, that is such a great, great point. The, the idea that you're right. In, in our culture today, people love story, but as you said, they, they tend to be fragmented stories, not connected. Stories from different authors. I mean, it's, it, it, it's like going to a movie. No, let, let me say it differently. It's like watching scenes from a movie, you know, three to five minute scenes, uh, of one movie over a year's time, um, that story will never come into focus as you watch these separate scenes until you watch it all together, put it together, understand the flow of the story. It's a, it, until you can look back and make sense of it and see, see where the author was going, understand the theme and the plot here of the story. It, when I do these uh, events that I call calling intensives with people, one of the things I have them do is I give them 50 minutes to talk through their story from beginning to end. 
And um, that tends to be such a profound experience for them because, as you have mentioned, many people have maybe told bits and pieces of their story, but they've never put it together from beginning to end all at one time in sequence. And all of a sudden, their life you know, comes into light. They can see things they never saw before. And so that, that's such a great point, Jim, you made about this, you know, pieces of stories, disjointed, and, and what that does to our heart and our journey and to our calling. And it makes it really difficult sometimes to communicate to people that there is one cohesive story um, because, they, because postmodernism has given them permission to um, have this sort of, you know, buffet style of, of story piecing together. But it hasn't really helped. Um, I want to go on to something, uh, a quote from Oswald Chambers about the call of the sea. Um, can you sort of set that up a little bit, talking about the story of meeting that one couple that loved to, to sail around the world and how that translates into this idea of trust? Yeah, yeah. Lee and I uh, were given a gift for our family to go to a dude ranch uh, for a week. And, and so it was just it was a week of, of horseback riding and great meals together and fun. And, and while we were there, we got to know a couple from England. And they were both two years away from their retirement from the police force. And so during one of our meals, I asked them um, what it is they were dreaming of doing once they retired, and they were free to do anything they wanted to do. And uh, they both lit up and talked about their dream and their desire of of sailing around the world in their small uh, sailing yacht. And so I asked them to describe that because I'm, I'm just not a boat person, haven't spent much time out in the open ocean. And uh, they talked about their, the thrill of being out in the middle of the ocean, um, away from uh, lands, from being able to see the land. And uh, so I asked them, boy, that, that doesn't worry you? And they said, no, we love this. And I said, so what happens when the conditions become adverse? And they said, oh, that's even better, when the storm kicks up and the waves are big. And they said, our, our boat is literally equipped that if the waves get too big, we can get inside the cabin, batten down the, pat, the hatch, and if the boat were to turn upside down, we'd be fine. And then when the storm subsides, we'd right side up again, and, and we would just keep sailing. And I could not understand the joy that, that they expressed <laughs> on their face and in their voice of sailing. And I realized for the first time what Oswald Chambers meant in the quote that you were alluding to about the nature of the sea because he starts by saying the call of God is like the call of the sea. No one hears it but the one who has the nature of the sea in him. And I realized that I could not understand the call of the sea that they were expressing in their joy and their compelling to go out under the ocean because I didn't have that call of the sea in me. It was foreign to me and they could explain it to me for as long and as well as they could, but there's an aspect that I would never understand. And, and that's what Chambers was alluding to, that, that there is a call of God in our life, and, and no one hears it except for the one that has that call in them, um, that, that only we can understand the call that God has given us. It's, it's in us. Well, anyway, he goes on in a quote, Oswald Chambers does, 
and he said it can't be stated explicitly what the call of God is to because God's call is to be in comradeship with himself for his own purposes. And the test is to believe that God knows what he is after. And, and, and so that really comes back to mystery, right? That God has this call in our heart for what he's created us to do. And only we will know it. But, but the mystery is, it's to be in comradeship with himself for his own purposes, and we have to believe that God knows one, what he is after, even in the mystery of it, when we have no idea except that we hear this call. Yeah, and that really links up with something that um, I, I read, Oz Guinness, said that there's, there are two kind of levels of calling. There's a first or primary level of calling, and that's first we're called to God. We're called to this comradeship, as you say, with God. But then, and only then, are we called to the secondary level, which is a specific role in the story. In other words, offering our specific um, glory, splendor, giftedness, what have you. And um, the second has to flow out of the first. I, I really... In fact, I don't know how anybody... I raised this question on one of the forums and said, you know, is it possible to have a sense of calling without having that first sense of calling that you're called to a person, you're called to God himself. And some thought yes, some thought no, and I thought, wow, how do you have that? I mean, I think maybe God is awakening some things um, in, in a person who has not yet acknowledged that he's the caller. But I think it's going to remain stunted because it has to flow from relationship. How are you going to get these clues along the journey or this guidance that he offers as the counselor in these times of mystery without acknowledging that he's the caller? Um, so, yeah, I think that's critical. And to know, the test is to believe that, that he knows what he's after. It's, it's will you trust me? You know, will you trust yeah. my heart, heart for you in this? And, and yeah. that, is, that is critical, in it, and that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what, Jim, that, that's such a good point. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Here's the way I would look at a person's life and calling, and, and, and then what side do they stand on, the side of, of knowing Christ or the side of not knowing him yet. And, and I would say that there is this haunting in everybody's life, believer or unbeliever, regardless of culture or ethnicity or anything else, um, there is this haunting in their heart that says, I know I'm made for something, but I don't know what it is. It's almost this, this voice that they can't quite make out the words of. I think believers have that as well. But I think without the first, as you said, without knowing God, being pulled into relationship with him, your spirit became, becoming alive to the spirit of God, you have no chance of finding out what that is. You, you may touch on expressions of it, but never the fullness of it, never the depth of it, because this comes from God. And, and how can you hear that voice calling you if you don't know the caller? I, that is so, so true. And, I, and I've had people say, Gary, why don't you take your teaching on calling like into the universities? And, and, and you, you, know, you might have to take God out of this, but you're still speaking about the heart. And I thought, you know what? I, I wouldn't be giving them the whole deal. I, I'd really be just increasing their despair over time because they won't hear God. They can't. 
Uh, and so it goes back to this verse that we spoke on the last podcast, which is core to all of this as we walk through this, and it's Philippians 2.13, which says, For it is God who is producing in you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. So, so this is how God does this, this nature of the sea in him, where he puts these desires in your heart, and, and, and you are aware of them. And, and these desires are letting us know what we're made to do, this life that would please God that we would live. But that's also the mystery. You know, What is that desire? What does it mean? What is it speaking to? And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up because they've been given sort of the, the religious expression of, no, you're just here to do your duty. You're here to be on this committee, to serve on this team here, or... Um, even just to generally love the people in front of you, none of which are necessarily particularly bad things. But we miss the invitation that what, what we're supposed to do is what we most want to do. And that almost sounds heretical to some people. It sounds, you know, that just sounds selfish. That sounds like you're only after pleasing yourself and living this kind of self-centered life and actually I've discovered that if, if you actually pursue those desires that are on your heart, it is going to be the cross you have to bear. It, it is not an escape from uh, serving Christ. It's not an escape from the burden of carrying the cross, so to speak. It's the way that you carry out the burden of Christ because it will take sacrifice. It will, it will, it will be painful, but the alternative is you shut down part of your heart and you never find out why you're here. Right, right. And, and the other thing that God is committed to doing with those you know, who follow him, love him, is he's going to continually um, mature, uh, purify our motives. You know? I mean, we go after the desires of our heart. And, and, and yes, when we touch, I believe when we touch on our truest desires, the ones that God has given us, they actually humble us, as you're saying. We actually realize... This is holy ground. This is something that God has given me, and, and I'm, I'm taking this seriously. I don't want to blow this. I don't want to contaminate this in any way, and it is humbling. And, and God will do that as well if we start going off into kind of a narcissism kind of thing, and it's all about me and my happiness, and my happiness is what should be most important to you kind of thing. You know what? He, he will go after that, but for sure, as you're saying, the enemy has used this fear of pride, which is a really, a very real fear and danger. I mean, it is the core of sin. But he has really used that sensitivity in believers' heart, that fear of pride, to keep us away from our desires because he knows, you know, if he keeps a man or woman away from their desires, then that person is lost. They will never discover their calling or the life that would please God that they are to live. So you're right. You know, I, I think about this Jonathan... Swift quote, he was an English writer, and he said that it is in man as it is in soil, where sometimes there is a vein of gold which the owner knows not of. And, and so going back to this idea of mystery, there is a vein of gold in every person's life. There is a glory, a splendor, a weightiness, a brilliance, a, a, a beauty, a strength to their life. <clears throat> but we don't know that much about it. It's something... It's always draped in mystery. We walk in it little into it, little by little. 
but it is there. It really is a vein of gold that we have to dig for. We have to mine for. And that's part of what it means to live in mystery. And that's so encouraging because um, I think the, the first, first part of Jonathan Swift's idea there is that, you know, most people, most men are fully aware of their faults and their failings, but they're little aware of that vein of gold. And um, because of the whole message we've been given, that it's the whole message of sin management and um, sort of the destruction of desire itself has not given us permission to say, wow, why not be aware of this vein of gold in us? It's not self-constructed. It's not something that we're not putting pride into that. What we're doing is we're saying, but we're also going to receive that. If it's from God, I want it, and I want to express it. Um, and the antidote to pride is often, will you place the, the, the primary calling first? Will you place the primary calling of relating and being in comradeship with the caller before anything else? Right. And that's, well, what, you know, I, that's what God, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think about that verse where Paul said, um, you know, what is it that you have not received? And if everything that you have you received, then what is there to boast in? And, and that is just what you said. It is such, it, it's, it's so true that if we just, as we realize that the gold that is in our life, the, the glory that God has given us, is from God, um, then there's no place to boast about it because I didn't create it. I don't own it. It is me. It, it brings joy to my life to have it, to operate in it, to develop it, and to offer it to others. But there's really no room for boasting in that there's just room for joy, you know, as we develop it and as we give it to other people. And and you say that you know the best is yet to be really best is yet to be revealed, which I think is just huge. I mean, I'm I'm 44, but there are times when I subtly come to the conclusion that it's just not going to be any better. There's not going to be any more. Um, I'm going to remain in sort of this this position forever. And if you're, if you're a person in your 60s and 70s and 80s, that is often the message that you hear is, you know what, you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's right for me as well. I mean, I, I have seen some gold in my life, some tarnished, you know, but it's gold. And uh, <clears throat> if, if my belief is that the best thing about me is what I've seen, there's nothing better about me that's discouraging, but mm-hmm. but to realize that there is more about us that is yet to be revealed—that's encouraging. That, that I haven't mined the depths yet of the mysteries of God and His life in my life. You know that there's this unfathomable depth to my life and to my purpose that is revealed moment by moment, one you know piece by another, one discovery leading to the next, and that's. That is such an encouraging thing. That it is. And it's, it's that verse, you know, we reveal his glory, we, we uh, unveil the faces, reveal his glory with ever-increasing splendor. Yep. I, I mean, that's, God, that's God's intent is, you think it's good now, watch. <laughs> right, um, right. And, and I, I'm drawing something out of you that is so powerful 
<laughs> that if I were to reveal it to you all at once, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Not because your heart's not good, but because it is so powerful. And that's where the idea of it has to be an expression of relationship and the life received from God in order to be this ever-increasing thing in our life. Yeah. There's, there's a verse that I think is so comforting, and, and it's where Paul says, it's 1 Corinthians 13.9, where he says, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. And, you know, and if the Apostle Paul can say that, the, the man who has been given the mysteries of God to reveal that to mankind, if he can say, honestly, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, you know, we, we can rest and we're doing okay because so, so much of our life feels partial and incomplete, our understanding of it. And so really that verse tells us it's okay. It's okay. He was even there and he was fine with that. So we really can live uh, in mystery without the shame or the, or the guilt or the, 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 uh, the weightiness on our shoulders of we've got to figure this out right now. We should have already. Um, and, and rather, to look at mystery as something, as an adventure to walk into. You know, the, the joy of discovering things little by little. Um, talk a little bit about that thrill of discovery versus having it immediately handed to us. Um, you, you, you quote Proverbs, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to find it out, in, order to, in, in other words, discover the matter. And uh, you give the uh, Easter egg illustration. What was that? Yeah, you know, when I ran across the scripture again and again, this one you just quoted um, out of Proverbs 25 too, um, I was remembering when our kids were small and um, Lee and I would love uh, to, on, on Easter morning before the kids came upstairs, to hide Easter eggs. You know, some plastic eggs had money in it, some had you know, some candy in it, and then there were some we just would, there were some candy we just hid without Easter egg. And so we would have a great time hiding these things, trying to figure out, you know, where we could put it, that it would be fun and a little difficult for them to find, concealed in other words, but not impossible. And so we would have a great time trying to stand back and saying, oh, I think you could put it right next to that plant, or I think you could put it here. No, that's too high, or that's too obvious, or... We would, we would probably spend 15, 20 minutes hiding things and just enjoying ourselves as we were doing it. And then we would invite the kids to come up with their baskets and, and find as much as they could or find everything in that time. And then we would enjoy that, listening to them laughing and as they're looking and, you know, their, their shouts of, of joy and laughter when they found something and that would get the others energized to find more. And, you know, and even to the point where if, if one of them were were finding a lot of things, they would start helping the others find things. And it was just a great experience. And I thought, that's what this is about. We were experiencing the joy of concealing things. Um, as Scripture says that God enjoys concealing things. And then we were enjoying them searching them out and finding them. And, and the thing that dawned on me was, okay, that this verse says the nature of God is he enjoys to hide things not so that people won't find those things, but rather that they would then have the joy of searching and finding. And that God doesn't put something in a place where we will never find it. 
he doesn't do that. He conceals for a while so that we will search and find those things. And you know, I, I've I've talked about this before, and I've had people say, "Gary, you're making an awful lot out of one verse in the book of Proverbs." I said, "Well, Jesus said the same thing. He said exactly mm-hmm. the same thing. And this is in Luke 11:9, where he said, "I say to you, ask, and keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, and keep seeking, and you will find. Knock, and keep knocking, and the door will be open." So Jesus was saying the same thing. This is the nature of God. This is your nature. This is the nature of the story we're living in. And it's it's almost like the idea as well that if um, say there's something I really I really want badly and it's a, and it's expensive. It's more meaningful in the end. I can appreciate it more if I've let's say saved up for it. It entered that process, in other words rather than saying, you know what, I'm just going to go buy that. Um, Because there's something about entering into that process where not only am I discovering something, but my heart is growing in the process. I'm developing, and we'll get into this more later in one of the later uh, podcasts in the series, but there's an idea that not only am I entering into discovery about what I'm called to, my heart is also becoming stronger, more capable, more wise um, in that process as well. And if we don't enter into that adventure, that discovery process, it's, it's going to leave our heart kind of emaciated, not, not sinful, not, not that, but just emaciated, not, not fully capable of, of um, entering into the life. Um, I wanted to go on. We just have a few more minutes for this podcast. Um, and by the way, next week, for those who are listening, or uh, the next session we'll be going into is going to be on glory. And by that, we don't mean the sort of um, glory, you know, the, the, the accented glory. We mean the splendor of our life, that, that thing that we have to offer that is unique to us. Um, but let's spend a couple minutes just saying, how do, then how can we respond to mystery in a healthy way. And one of the things I will bring up first is this idea that you can have clarity or God in some situations, but you can't have both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's such, such an important point. That, um, the first place I read that was with C.S. Lewis and uh, out of his book, God in the Dock. And, and, and basically the point was just what you said. You can have God or you can have understanding. And in different moments, in different situations, we have to choose what we want. And, and he, he went on to explain in, this, in his book on this idea that um, um, often what we most think about is what we tend to be cut off from. So in other words, if, if you were thinking at a deep level about why something tastes good, you actually will lose the enjoyment of just simply tasting it, enter, entering into the experience of tasting something. Um, he, he gives in other examples. He said, um, um, he said, you can't study pleasure in the moment of a marital embrace. You either ex- experience and enjoy the moment or you stop to think, why is this true? Why is this happening? He goes on, he said, you, you cannot study repentance while you are repenting. You do one or the other. You either repent and have God, or you're studying repentance and trying to understand it. Or he said, you, nor can you analyze the nature of humor 
while you're roaring in laughter. And, and so, so many times we can get into a situation where we are trying so hard to understand something. Why is this happening? Why is this not happening? That we actually just lose the experience. That we lose God in it. And, and so C.S. Lewis's warning is, you know, don't, don't let that happen. Be very careful with that. And, and so my thought with that was, you know, we, we just need to experience God in the situation, and then we can come back and say, God, what was it you were telling me in that? What were you trying to reveal or awaken? Where were you taking me? Versus, again, I know so many believers, and I've done this, I do this as well, where I struggle so hard for clarity that I've pretty much walked away from God in that situation or in that moment, rather than just entering into it with God and say, God, speak to me about this mystery as you will when you can. It's just an entirely different way to live. And it's not that we give up the question, because as you said, the invitation is to keep asking and keep knocking, mm-hmm. keep seeking, because then we enter into it. But instead of, but it's that we not, we don't demand it. We don't have this posture of demanding that God reveal what's going on. Because then, when we do that, as you're as you're suggesting, we actually we actually lose our opportunity to experience the very life we're looking for, which flows from Him. Um, we just got to. Okay, so let me let, let me give a ahead, quick example of this in case somebody's saying, "Well, you know, I don't understand Scripture where that is." So here's a story of that one: Luke five uh, one through eleven. This is the story of Jesus speaking to the multitudes, and he's he's on the beach, and uh, at some point he asked Simon, he said, "Hey, can you mind if I just sit in your boat and, and out in the water a little bit and speak to the crowd?" And he said, "No, it's fine." So so he's speaking to. So this is Simon now. So Simon is on the beach, a fisherman. He's mending his nets, and obviously listening to Jesus, he's right near him, but he's up to something else. And But as he's mending his nets, um, after a while, Jesus comes up to him and speaks specifically to Simon. And he said, Simon, I want you to put out, I want you to go out into the deeper waters with your boats and your nets and let, let them down for a catch. And Simon, who's a fisherman, he's been up all night. I mean, he knows when to catch fish, and he's evidently not done that well that evening, um, looks at Jesus and says, listen, Master, we've worked hard all, all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will do this. I will go out there and I'll let down my nets. And, and you know the story. They go out there and they catch so many fish, it's breaking their nets, it's sinking their boats. He is so astounded that he runs back, he brings his boat back, runs up to the feet of Jesus, falls down to, at his feet, and uh, he's just astonished at what's happened. He knows that this Jesus is, is the Lord. He's God. And it's in that moment where Simon, who becomes uh, Peter, receives his call. And this is where Jesus says, you will now become a fisher of men. Now, now the lesson of this is that Peter had to venture out into the depths. Right? He didn't want to go out there. It wasn't comfortable for him. He, he's, he's been disappointed out there before, but Jesus says, you're going to have to go out into the depths, the deeper waters, and when you do, then I will speak to you about who you are. Fascinating thing is, Jesus says, you're going to be more of what you presently are. He's still a fisherman, but he said, I'm going to teach you how to go after uh, big fish right now, not the small ones, the bigger ones. But it was his willingness to go out into the depths um, 
where that allowed God then to speak to him. And, and this is the same thing. We have to choose God and go into the depths of life where there's mystery, and, and it's there that God will start to bring us clarity as to who we are in, in our place in this world. And that's so helpful because it, it, it's, a, it's a challenge to our assumptions and, and a challenge to Peter's assumption there that, you know what, I've got this wrapped up. I know what's going on. You know, I can fish. Who are you to tell me how to fish? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's a challenge to our perspective um, and our ability to frame reality and, and acknowledge that there's someone, there's a caller, so to speak, who stands outside of our perspective that um, if, if we'll trust, if we'll enter into that deeper water, we will actually become more of the person and, and that increasing glory that he said, I'm pulling out of you, I'm drawing that out of you. Um, so anyway, this is just really helpful for those times when we're either assuming that we're blowing it, we're just not getting it, or God doesn't speak, or God doesn't like me, or this is so helpful to remember that we're not disoriented, we're not taken out, it's just mystery. Um, the next time, as I talked, uh, mentioned, it's going to be about glory and what is it that I bring? What is my particular splendor that's increasing? Um, so, Gary, thanks again. And, and for those of you who want to check out Gary's teaching on calling, his resources, I highly recommend it. His website is thenobleheart.com. And um, go there and check it out. Gary, it's been really great, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Jim, once again, this, this was a lot of fun, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Gary. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.